You're listening to Pastor Ryan Couch at Calvary Chapel of Crook County as he teaches through the book of Joshua. If you have your Bibles with you, let's join Pastor Ryan now. Joshua chapter 20, we're going to look at the last five chapters and try to wrap it up. And then we'll start Judges uh, sometime in May. So um, the first chapter, chapter 20, we're not going to read chapter 20, 21 or 22. We'll get into 23 and 24 and we'll look at those more specifically. But in chapter 20, the cities of refuge. And you remember back from Numbers, Numbers 35, that the cities of refuge were set up for people that had committed manslaughter, accidental, unintentional murder. And... And when that happened, when there was a, a murder that takes place, maybe, you know, you're riding your horse along and all of a sudden a guy steps out and you run him over with your horse or, you know, you're, you're, you're hunting and you accidentally shoot your neighbor or whatever, that you, you just, you know, take off. Well, they didn't have guns, so they couldn't have accidentally shot their neighbor, but you know what I mean. You accidentally threw a spear and hit your neighbor or whatever. Sling, you know. Um, that if that happened, that you just, you know, you would run to one of these cities of refuge, and the, the way the custom and, and the uh, tradition worked was the elders of the city, which, you know, the, the elders of the church and the elders of the city were really one and the same, and the leaders of the church and leaders of the synagogue uh, would be there at the, at the gates of the city, and they would be conversing and praying and talking about things that were going on, and, and, and so the, the cities of refuge, which there were six of them, and they were placed strategically, as if you read this, around the, the nation, and so anywhere that you were at, you could get to one fairly quick, quickly, and you would run up to the city gates, the elders would be there, you would explain your situation, you know, I was, I was hunting, and I threw a spear, and out of nowhere, here came this guy, and it hit him, and he killed him, and and man, now his family's after me and they want to kill me. And, and, and the family would be called the Avengers of Blood. And, and you know, the, the concept of capital punishment goes back to Genesis chapter 9. It's very biblical. And all the way through the Pentateuch, we see uh, the, the teaching of capital punishment. It's clearly something that, that is scriptural. And so these avengers of blood, not wanting to shame their family, they would come after the murderer, whether it was intentional or unintentional. And so they would explain themselves to the elders, and if the elders felt that it was a legit story, then they would allow him to come into the, the city. And when the avengers of blood came running up, you know, you picture this, they're ready to kill this guy, then they would say, no, he's, he's here to be protected, and we will convene on this, we will meet, we will judge the matter, and, and, if, and we'll hear you out, but if, if he is truly innocent and this was unintentional, then he'll live here until the, the death of the high priest at that time. And when the high priest died, then the, the people would be free to go, and there would be no retribution that could come upon that person. But if the person left early, decided, you know what, I'm going to take a risk here, I'm going to go live on my own outside the city, then he would be free game for the avengers of blood. So that's kind of how it worked. I think we see Jesus in that. I think Jesus is our refuge. Uh, Psalm 46, a familiar psalm, verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And throughout the psalms, we see God 
referred to as our refuge and that we run to Jesus. And, and are we doing that? Is Jesus our refuge, our strong tower, a very present help in time of trouble? Is he our city of refuge? And just like these cities of refuge were strategically placed so that wherever you were at, you could get to one very easily. Jesus is so accessible to us. He's there for us. He longs to hear from us. He wants us to find shelter in the shadow of his wings. He wants us to come and, and to approach him and to cry out to him and to tell him what's going on in our life. Well, doesn't he already know? Of course he already knows. But he wants to hear it from us because there's something about that as we give it to the Lord that, as Philippians tells us, there's peace that floods our life. And, and so he wants to be our refuge. Are you allowing him to be your refuge? Are you fleeing to him your refuge? And I think also the church is a refuge for us, the, the body of believers. And so often, we don't take advantage of that. We, we don't confess our, our faults one to another. We, we don't um, become vulnerable to people. We, we don't allow ourselves to truly be known and, and to allow the church to be that refuge for us. And so I think we need to take advantage of those things. Chapter 21, the cities of the Levites. You remember the Levites did not get a piece of the land, a portion of the land specifically. And why was that? Because their inheritance was God, right? They didn't get a a set piece of the land like everybody else did. But they had cities where they would be placed throughout the land where they would live. And and there would be synagogues and, and, and different uh, areas of worship and places of worship. And, and these priests would be, like the cities of refuge, would be placed throughout. They wouldn't just be congregated at, at this time, uh, you, you know, in the, the headquarters that they had set up. Uh, they, they wouldn't just be uh, placed there, but they would, or, or later, they, they wouldn't be placed in just Jerusalem. They, they would be place throughout the land so that wherever you were at, you could be ministered to and, and blessed. And, and I think that that uh, brings up a, a New Testament principle of, of the elders in the church being accessible and being available to minister uh, to the people. And, and that's why we, we have uh, the elders up here available to pray with you. And, and that's why we want you to know who the elders are so that if, if you need to be ministered to if you need to be counseled that that's available to you and i think sometimes um people think well it's got to be ryan you know i got to talk to ryan and and man i'm always willing to talk to people and available to to counsel and to pray but sometimes i'm not available for a particular reason i just contradict myself i said i'm always available sometimes i'm not you know what i mean (laughs) You know, if I'm not here, if I'm, you know, getting a vasectomy, possibly. Um, you know, see, there's another reason why we shouldn't do it. Then it makes me not available. But, um, you know, whatever. Or sometimes, like on Sundays, there's, you know, a number of people that, that I'm praying for. And, and people stand off. And, 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 you know, here's a couple elders and they're available. And yet people only want to talk to me. And, and I can understand that to a certain extent. You know, as the pastor, you want to talk to the pastor, that's cool. But take advantage of the elders, you know, not literally, but 
Um, but, you know, you, use them. That doesn't sound right either. What? <laughs> Allow them to minister to you. Allow them to, to use their gifts. Allow them to um, pray for you and, and to minister to you. It's important. So uh, that's kind of what I see with these, the cities of the Levites and, and how it was accessible and, and it was close and available. And, and you know, the Bible does say that, that it indicates that you call upon the elders of the church. And sometimes... I think people wait for the leaders to come to them like, you know, they've got, you, you've got this thing above you, you know, some kind of hologram that says, I have needs, you know, or I'm sick today, or man, I'm just totally screwed up, will you pray for me? And there's nothing like that. We, we, we don't know. You have to come and you have to approach the leaders and you have to say, man, can you pray for me? So I think there's great application there. And then chapter 22, the eastern tribes, remember those Two and a half tribes that decided to live on the east side of the Jordan for whatever reason. The Reubenites, the Gadites, half the tribe of Manasseh. Well, they, they return to their lands. They, they go back and it's kind of a little bit of a journey. And you, you could read that on your own in chapter 22 and them making their way back. And then in chapter 23, we see Joshua's farewell address. And I think this is super important because Joshua is a picture of Jesus. And, and Joshua, of course, has been their leader now for many years. And being the successor to Moses and taking everything that God had shown Moses and, and implemented that. And, and Joshua had conquered the land of Canaan. He was the leader that allowed them to enter the promised land. And here's his farewell address after his years of ministry. It says, it came to pass a long time after the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their enemies round about that Joshua was old, advanced in age. And Joshua called for all Israel, for their elders, for their heads, for their judges, and for their officers, and said to them, I am old, advanced in age. You have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations because of you, for the Lord your God is he who has fought for you. So Joshua calls the leaders. He can't possibly speak to everybody. And so he, he brings the leaders in who will then go back to, to the people that they were responsible for and, and they would pass it on. And he says, See, I have divided to you by lot these nations that remain to be an inheritance for your tribes from the Jordan with all the nations that I have cut off as far as the great sea westward. And the Lord your God will expel them from before you and drive them out of your sight. So you shall possess their land as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore be very courageous to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, lest you turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left. And so he's, he's encouraging them to keep the entirety of the law, the, the entirety of the word of God at that time. The, the law of Moses would have been the first five books and of course, they, they weren't, um, you know, written the way we have them, and they, they were in scrolls, and, and it was a little different uh, than, than the way that we approach the Word today. But he's telling them that they need to keep the entirety of the Word. And as believers, as people 
who follow Jesus, we need to be people that have a desire to keep the entirety of God's word and not just what's convenient, not just what fits into our schedule, not, not what is easy, but the entirety of it. Do all that is commanded of us. Unless you go among these nations, these who remain among you, you shall not make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause anyone to swear by them. You shall not serve them nor bow down to them. But you shall hold fast to the Lord your God as you have done to this day. And so his second encouragement to them, his second command, was that they wouldn't compromise. That they would not allow themselves to have peace with the enemy. That there wouldn't be in their life a mutual decision. Hey, I'm okay with you being around if you're okay with me being around. There wouldn't be any of that. There wouldn't be any of these false gods in in their lives at all. That they would completely expel them. They wouldn't even talk about them. That they would hold fast to the Lord their God. And the same should be said of us. That we would not have peace with our enemy. That that we wouldn't allow the enemy to, to come in and to make a home in our life, that we wouldn't allow him to have a a foothold, which then becomes a stronghold, but that we would hold fast to, to the Lord our God. For the Lord has driven out from before you great and strong nations, but as for you, no one has been able to stand against you to this day. One man of you shall chase a thousand, for the Lord your God is he who fights for you as he promised you. And so just a reminder that it had nothing to do with them. And as they go forward, it's going to have nothing to do with them. That They didn't win this battle. This was the Lord. And that it's His battle. And He's the one that goes uh, forward to fight for them. And are we aware of that? That the battles in our life, the struggles that we have, the battles that we have, and, and the difficulties that we're going through, that it was God that brought us as far as we are. And it is God that's going to continue to bring us forward. And that we need to, to be cognizant of that, that we need to constantly remind ourselves that God is fighting our battles, that it isn't us, that it's not our power, our own strength. Therefore, take careful heed to yourselves that you love the Lord your God. I think that's great. Remember that it's God that is fighting for you, that it's really not your responsibility. It's not my responsibility. We don't have to go out and try to win the battle. But what we do need to do is take careful heed that we love the Lord. That's our responsibility. That's what we do. We don't take more upon ourselves than than we need to. We don't think that the battle is somehow ours to fight, that these difficulties that we're experiencing are somehow ours to overcome. But what we do is that we love God. And so no matter what we're going through, Financial struggle, relational difficulties, problems at work, issues with your kids, emotional difficulty, physical difficulties, whatever it is, that we realize, look, it's out of my control. I can't do anything about it. It's his battle. It's his life. It's his ministry. It's his kids. They're not my kids. They're his kids. It's his battle. It's not my finances. They're his finances. He promised to provide. But my responsibility is to take careful heed to myself that I love God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength. That's what Jesus asked us to do. And so that's what we should be focused on right now. 
is loving God with all of our heart, making him the, the king of our life, allowing him to capture our hearts. Or else, if indeed you do go back and cling to the remnant of these nations, these that remain among you, and make marriages with them, and go into them, and they to you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations from before you. But they shall be snares and traps to you, and scourges on your sides, and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth, and you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one word of them has failed. Which ought to be an encouragement to us, that the promises of God will come to pass. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. All the promises of God are in Him, yes and amen. That God doesn't make promises that He doesn't keep. That if you have a promise from God, the number one, I think it's super encouraging to remind yourself and even in a sense to remind God of those promises in prayer. To say, Lord, you promised to do this. And to be reminded of that. And to know that God's promises will come to pass. That you can take it to the bank. That God doesn't write bad checks. That you're not going to get a little note in the mail that says insufficient funds. You know, sorry, there wasn't enough there to keep that one. I apologize. That, that he's not like the human characters that you've had in your life who, who make promises and yet don't keep them. And, and many of us have had promises made to us that weren't kept. And so then we, we bring that into our relationship with God. And we think that God is saying to us, the check is in the mail. Or, oh, I'll do that you know, next week. Next weekend, you know. Whatever promises that, that were made to you. I can't even begin to tell you how many promises have been made to me by, by my biological father that, that he never kept. And after some time, 12, 13 years old, I just, just didn't believe in anything he said. I said, forget it. Might as well put the phone down and let you talk to the, the counter and make empty promises to the counter. But we can't take that into our relationship with God. Because as we see here, all have come to pass for you. Not one word of them has failed. All the promises of God are in Him, yes and amen. We've been let down by people, certainly. But know this, God will never let you down. God will never leave you nor forsake you. God will never fail you. God will never say something to you that He doesn't intend to do. Now, it may not be in your time. It may not make sense to you. But God's promises will come to pass. He's faithful. Even as the Word tells us, when we are faithless. I love that. That God's promises to you and to me, they're not conditioned upon us. That when God makes a promise, He keeps it. You remember when He made that covenant with Abraham and He had Abraham lay out all the sacrifices and, 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 and all of that? What does it say? It says that God put Abraham to sleep. And Abraham woke up and guess what? The covenant, the agreement was already made. And it's a clear picture to us that Abraham had nothing to do with it. And you see that throughout the Bible. Even our salvation. Is it an agreement between us and God the Father? I see blank stares. Absolutely not. There's no agreement between us and God the Father. We're, who's, who's our 
mediator, Jesus. It was an agreement between Jesus and God the Father. And then we enter into it by virtue of the Holy Spirit being in our hearts. This is a Trinitarian covenant that has zero to do with us except that we enter in by faith. Just like Abraham got to walk around and God showed Abraham the covenant. He got, it was like a figure eight pattern, walk around and see what I did. Same thing with us. It's not somehow we said, you know what, Lord, I promise to be faithful and I promise to follow you and to serve you. And here's an agreement. And where do I sign? Okay, sounds good. No, we enter into into a relationship with God the Father because of what Jesus did. And all of his promises are unconditional. They're not based on our performance. They're not based upon if we hold up our end of the bargain. I love that. Therefore... Verse 15, it shall come to pass that as all the good things you have come upon, that that as all the good things have come upon you, which the Lord your God promised you, so the Lord will bring upon you all harmful things until he has destroyed you from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. When you have transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and have gone and served other gods and bowed down to them, Then the anger of the Lord will burn against you, and you shall perish quickly from the good land which he has given you. And so clearly there are repercussions of sin. Clearly there there are repercussions, but notice that God didn't say, I won't keep my promises. He said, my promises are yes and amen. But if you choose to rebel against me, if you choose to follow these other gods, eventually I'm going to give you over to them. And guess what it brings? Death and destruction. If you want to serve the flesh, if you want to go after sin, if you want to seek your own good, eventually God will give you over to that. And He'll let you experience that. And it always brings death. It always brings destruction. And that's why we read in in Corinthians where Paul tells the church there to cast out that, that man who was living in unrepentant sin, who was fully aware of his sin, And the church was tolerating it. The church was allowing it to go on. And they were actually priding themselves that they were so tolerant. Is that a a buzzword today, isn't it? It's not new at all. We think we're so progressive in the 21st century. Man, the, the Greek culture had all the elements of the American culture. All the elements. There's nothing progressive about it. It's just we, it's very cyclical, the, the things that we allow. Uh, to go on. And, and we're heading uh, down that road uh, once again, and we're allowing these things to be a part of our culture and our society, but they're not new. They're not new at all. And, and when we decide that we want to go after those things, like Paul said to the church of Corinth, then give them over to it. Paul talks about that in Romans, that God will give us over to a debased mind. But it's always for the sake of restoration and for repentance. And sometimes God will even allow a person to be killed in their flesh so as to not shame his name any longer and so as not to do further destruction to that person, to their testimony, to their life, to their family. And it's an act of mercy. And, and, I, and I think that's what we see here. Chapter 24, then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel, for their heads, for their judges, and for their officers. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, 
your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river, led him throughout all the land of Canaan, and multiplied his descendants, and gave him Isaac. I love the fact that Abraham was, was a pagan. I love the fact that God snatched Abraham out of a pagan lifestyle. And, and Abraham chose to serve God. And what does the Bible say? That Abraham was saved because he was such a righteous guy? That Abraham was saved because he had it all together? That Abraham was saved because he came from a long line of people that served Jehovah God? Absolutely not. And that, that's the thing, like, you know, even, even in, it, with Jews and, and, and their pride of their heritage, really their heritage still goes back to paganism. Their heritage goes back to Abraham, who was a pagan. And God snatched Abraham out, and he set him over here, and he said, look, I want you to leave your family, and I want you to follow me. And Abraham did it, and he believed by faith. But we're all messed up, even Abraham, except Abraham trusted God by faith. The same thing. He looked forward to the cross. We look backward to the cross. Somehow we, we get it twisted up in our mind like, Man, these Old Testament dudes, man, they had it all together. They were perfect. They were righteous. That God saw something special in them and, and they were saved by their works. But Abraham, the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 15, believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Abraham had great lapses of faith. Abraham, we know, committed great sin against God. And I love the fact that Abraham was just pulled out of this paganism. In verse 4, to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, to Esau I gave the mountains of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. Also I sent Moses and Aaron and I plagued Egypt. Afterward, to what did I, what did I do among them? Afterward, I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt and you came to the sea. And the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. So they cried out to the Lord, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, brought the sea upon them and covered them, and your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. Then you dwelt in the wilderness a long time. And I brought you into the land of the Amorites, the land of Canaan, who dwelt on the other side of the Jordan, and they fought with you. But I gave them into your hand that you might possess their land, and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose to make war against Israel and sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Therefore, he continued to bless you, so I delivered you out of his hand. Then you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the men of Jericho fought against you, also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. But I delivered them into your hand. I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out from before you, also the two kings of the Amorites, but not with your sword or with your bow. And so God is recounting their history. Man, it's good to be reminded of, of what God has done and, and how God has brought you as far as he has. Don't ever forget your past. Don't ever forget the work that God has done in your life. Be reminded of that. Be reminded of God's grace, that, that he has brought you thus far. And, and that's, I think, what happens in the church. And 
where we, we build these walls up and we begin to think that we're better than, than the world. It's because we forget where we've come from. And we begin to think it's us versus them. But as we remind ourselves that, man, it's been God the whole time, it, it allows us to cultivate humility in our life. It wasn't with their sword or with their bow. I have given you a land for which you did not labor. It's a great verse. I've given you a land which you didn't labor for. God has given us many things of which have nothing to do with us. As a believer, we should never have the mindset of the perspective that we deserve something. I hear people say that. I, I deserve better than this. Ooh, I, I just cringe when I hear that. I deserve better. Man, we don't deserve anything. I worked hard. I earned this. Really? God put the very breath in your lungs. The, the very strength in your hands, the, the ability to, to do that task was not independent of God. I've given you a land for which you did not labor and cities which you did not build. And you dwell in them and eat of the vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. Amazing. Amazing to think about all the blessings that we have as believers. The, the blessings that Ephesians tells us are available to all of us to enter into the abundant blessing that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ that it's in Christ that doesn't have anything to do with us that we just enter into it by virtue of our relationship with him that we just enter in just like a child who's born into a wealthy family and they're blessed with all, with all of these riches and all of these things that had nothing to do with them the same is true of us we didn't labor, we didn't build the cities, we, we didn't plant the vineyards or the olive groves, but we get to partake of the fullness of God through Christ and His grace. Now therefore, fear the Lord, serve Him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. He, again, here's our response. We recognize that we have entered into this amazing relationship, that we have these awesome blessings that have nothing to do with us. And so our response is to fear God, to say, Lord, you're so powerful, you're so amazing, thank you, to serve Him in sincerity. Notice that, in sincerity. Don't serve Him to impress other people or because you, you want to be noticed by men. Serve Him in sincerity with honest motives and in truth. And put away the gods, whatever those are. Whatever your gods are. They're not little figurines. They're not statues. They come in different shapes and sizes today and they cost a lot more money. Or they, they cause a lot more heartache. But there's, there's gods. And we can't serve those anymore because we've been captured by the one and true living God. And he deserves our full devotion because of what he's done for us and because of who he is. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, the Canaanites. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Of course, this is a famous verse that's you know put up on plaques and on doorways. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And, and this comes on the heels of Joshua's death. Where he's saying to them, look, I want you to serve God and nobody else. But if it seems evil to you, then hey, go serve whoever you want. 
But don't claim to be a follower of Jesus. Don't claim to be a follower of God because you've stepped outside of his blessings. If it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, if you think, well, man, this seems awfully exclusive. This seems heavy-handed. Why is God trying to micromanage my life? Well, you've got to go back and you've got to see all the blessings. You've got to see all the amazing things that God has done. You've got to go to the cross and recognize what Jesus did to purchase your life. But if you can't recognize that, if someone can't recognize that, if it seems evil to serve the Lord, to give Him your full devotion, to be a living sacrifice, then hey, go your own way. But don't claim to be living under the blessings of God. And don't expect those blessings. Who are we going to serve? There's an ultimatum. There's a line drawn in the sand here of who we're going to serve. Are we going to serve Jesus full on? Or are we going to be riding the fence a little bit? Joshua just lays it out here and says, Man, be fully devoted to God. There's no such thing as as a half-hearted commitment to the Lord. There's no such thing as having one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom of God. There's no such thing as that. There's no such thing as riding the fence. That's why Jesus said, I would rather that you were hot or cold. There's different interpretations of that. But I I like the interpretation that says, man, I would rather have you be hot on fire for me or cold completely away from me. Not that he wants that, but at least you recognize it. Rather than being lukewarm, somehow in the middle trying to, you know, live in both worlds. He says, I want to spew you out of my mouth. Choose for you this day whom you will serve. Who are we going to serve? Do people know who we serve? Is there ambiguity to our life? When people look at our life, is it kind of cloudy? Is it kind of gray? I'm not sure, you know. They say they're a Christian, they, they go to church, but man, it's just kind of hazy. Or have we made a very clear statement with our life that we're going to serve Jesus Christ and Him alone? So the people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. Far be it from us. And I'm sure their, their hearts were sincere. I'm sure they, they really believed this. But as we'll see when we get into Judges, it didn't take them very long at all to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is He who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all the people, including the Amorites who dwell in the land. We also will serve the Lord, for He is our God. But Joshua said to the people, You cannot serve the Lord, for He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. Joshua is not trying to discourage the people from serving the Lord. He's saying, look, I don't want you to be half-hearted. I don't want you to be living in compromise. Decide who you're going to serve. Otherwise, you, you don't have a relationship with him. Otherwise, he's not your God. He's not your Lord. He's a jealous God. He wants our whole heart. He wants our whole life. And he deserves that. He's worthy of that. He's worthy of pure devotion. He's worthy of pure worship. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. So Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord for yourselves to serve him. In other words, you're you're accountable. 
You've made that decision to serve God. And you're accountable to that. And they said, we are witnesses. Now therefore, he said, put away the foreign gods which are among you and incline your heart to the Lord God of Israel. And so even up to this point, they had these foreign gods. Even here, after all of the amazing work of God and even entering the promised land and destroying the cities and all that God was doing, they still had these foreign gods that they were following after. And Joshua has to tell them, even after all this time, to forsake these gods. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve, and his voice we will obey. I think what we see with with the Israelites time and time again is that talk is cheap. People are good at talking. We're very good at saying things, but not so good at following through. And the Israelites constantly would say, we want to serve the Lord. We want to make Him the Lord of our life. We're, we're going to follow Him. We're going to put away our foreign gods. And yet, they did. I think God wants more action and less talk. God's not so much concerned with what we say as He is with what we do. And we can impress people all day long with, with our impressive speech or with our good intentions. But as the, the adage, the, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, I think it's true. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made for them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. Then Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness to us. For it has heard all the words of the Lord which he spoke to us. It shall therefore be a witness to you, lest you deny your God. So Joshua let the people depart, each to his own inheritance. Now it came to pass after these things that Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him within the border of his inheritance at Timnath-Serah, which is in the mountains of Ephraim, on the north side of Mount Gaash. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had known all the works of their Lord which he had done for Israel. The bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel had brought up out of Egypt, they buried at Shechem in the plot of ground which Jacob had bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem for 100 pieces of silver, and which had become an inheritance of the children of Joseph. And Eleazar, the son of Aaron, died. They buried him in a hill belonging to Phinehas, his son, which was given to him in the mountains of Ephraim. And so the death of Joshua now opens a new chapter in in the history of Israel. And we'll explore that as we look at the book of Judges starting in a few weeks. And and the book of Judges is is an amazing book that has so many parallels uh, to our lives and and to the the Christian church, unfortunately. And so it'll be an exciting study. And and then after that, we'll, we'll get into that series we're going to do through the summer where we answer some questions so you guys can start to think about some of those questions that, uh, that you might want to ask. And, and we'll have a box available and an email available to, to send those questions. So Lord bless you guys. Have an awesome week. And, and I pray that these truths and these things be, become real to us and, and they are lived out in our life. Why don't we stand together? Lord, thank you for this time. In your word, God, thank you for the truths of your word. Lord, thank you that we can read from an ancient text and and have you speak in our present time. And Lord, I pray that tonight 
Lord, if there's any compromise, God, if, if there's any half-hearted kind of devotion to you, Lord, that tonight we would draw that line that, God, we would say with all of our heart that I am going to serve the Lord and Him alone. Lord, that we wouldn't allow false gods and foreign gods to, to creep into our heart. Lord, that we would have no rival throne. That, Lord, you, you would have no competition, God. That we wouldn't allow things to crowd you out of our life. Lord, and if there are those things, God, if there is duplicity, Lord, bring conviction tonight. May we repent. God, we want to serve you and you alone because you're worthy of it. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that we've entered into all these things, not by our own goodness, God, not because we deserve it. God, you've blessed us with cities that we didn't build, with vineyards that we didn't plant. Lord, we just get to partake. But God, our responsibility is to love you with all of our hearts. And God, that's what we want to do. We want you to be the Lord, the King, the Master of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Pastor Ryan Couch of Calvary Chapel, Crook County. For more information, you can write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon, 97754. Thanks for listening, and God bless.